When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, everybody? Elliot Shore Parks here with Matt Lombardo. And Matt, it's been a week since we recorded one of these. And after doing it two, three times a week through the season, uh, it's been pretty crazy. It's been that long. I'm just kind of happy to be out of the uh, subarctic temperatures yeah. of Minneapolis, Minnesota. I don't know about you, Elliot, but that first moment every morning of walking out of the courtyard by Marriott and onto the media shuttle where you just get blasted by the sub-zero wind chills, I- I'm so glad to not be used to that <laughs> anymore as my new normal. <laughs> it's just weird it's been a week, too. Like when you talk with uh, Eagles fans and just really anyone in Philly, like – the last six weeks have been a whirlwind in so many ways. I mean, you go from like even just the beginning of the playoffs to the bye week to the Falcons to the Vikings to the two weeks before to obviously the Super Bowl. Like it's been a wild six weeks. So I think it's been kind of good to take a week and just kind of digest it all. I mean, the last time we recorded this was probably at two in the morning at the hotel, um, you know, the post game pod for the game. And, we, and that yep. one was a short one, you know, 20, 20 minutes or so. So it's really, I'm happy we've had a week to really kind of digest everything that's gone on here. Uh, but I wanted to start with, I guess the first thing we should talk about is the parade. I mean, obviously people have said, you know, anywhere from 700,000 to 3 million, which is a pretty big gap, obviously, but clearly a huge parade. Uh, What were your kind of main takeaways from the parade? Well, it was unbelievable. And it was unlike anything I've ever seen. And I was there for the Phillies parade and there again for the Eagles Super Bowl parade. And I was actually watching most of the buildup at the art museum when the buses were arriving with uh, Darren Ravel of ESPN. And, you know, I've only ever been to the Phillies championship parade and that was Mm -hmm. over 2 million people. And obviously it was pretty densely packed along Broad Street for that parade. And you had two celebrations at the link in Citizens Bank Park, which kind of inflated the attendance numbers a little bit. But I asked Darren, I said, you know, where does this rank? And he said that he flew into Chicago for the celebration at Wrigleyville. Uh, He was there when Manchester United won something in the Premier League and they had the big parade there. But he said this this was a whole other beast, that this was on a level with the Cleveland Cavaliers when they won with LeBron James and the amount of people that turned out there, that that was probably the biggest parade and biggest celebration he'd ever seen. And and this was right on that level. And Elliot, there were people climbing light posts and dancing on the light posts. Um, people were doing eagles chants from the top of fountains. People were climbing into trees to get a better view. And just at the art museum, just to set the scene, um, I was kind of in the Aikens Oval portion with the rest of the media. And people were stretched out all the way to the Schuylkill River to one side, all the way to those high rises on the other side, and uh-huh. as far back on the parkway as you could see. And everybody was happy. Everybody was in a great mood. Everybody was dancing to the music. Everybody was doing eagles cheers. And they timed 
framed the replay of the Super Bowl to coincide with the start of the parade when the Eagles won the game. So it was just a really nice job of the Eagles and a, and a really nice turnout by the fans. Yeah, so my main two things I think really stood out to me were, one, I guess you, we got to talk about Jason Kelsey. I mean, yes. clearly his speech was – he was basically just reading off my takes one by one and disputing <laughs> all of them. But no, I mean no, I mean his speech was epic, and I think really what made it so special and what really resonates with people was it wasn't – I mean I'm sure he put some thought into it, but it seemed like he was just going off the cuff, and it was just – it came across as completely authentic, and he really went there. I mean you know, he didn't just touch on the Howie Roseman situation. He like kind of went into depth about what happened with him, and he poked at you know, subjects that might be sore to some people. He talked about Lane Johnson, you know, taking the juice. He talked about, you know, different things that I thought were, you know, you only really bring up if you're a really close family and you're able to joke about it. And I think that's why it came off well. I mean, why, why, why it was so loved is because he didn't just kind of touch on things. He really went there. And I mean, obviously for five and a half minutes, uh, you've already seen the t-shirts that have, you know, come off from that speech, all the memorable clips People and stuff have gotten like him that. tattooed onto their bodies yeah. in the mummers outfit. Elliot, he rolled up in a mummers costume to the parade yeah. and the speech was everything you just described. And it was better because it was so authentically Philly and it connected with the crowd at such a, a level that I, I had never seen somebody do before outside of maybe Chase Utley. And this was certainly to a whole other this, degree. Yeah, this was better than Utley's. I, I mean, Utley said one curse word. You right. Know, like, and and it, this just seemed to build and build and right. build. But if I'm the Eagles and regardless of what my plan was for that celebration, if Jason Kelsey rolls up in a mummer's costume, I'm putting him last. That was yeah. like asking the Cheltenham area high school, you know, corral group to follow Bruce Springsteen or the Rolling Stones or Kanye West. Right. right? To have anybody, whether it be Zach yeah, or poor Zach speak after Jason Kelsey was categorically unfair. He should have been the send off with the fireworks going up in the crowd. But other than that, I thought it was just a, a really perfect day and one that I think it's going to be difficult for the city of Philadelphia to ever really top. Yeah. The last thing I'll say about this before we kind of get into the, the meat of this podcast, read some reviews and talk about the book. Um, I'm dead serious. I think they should make a, a statue of Jason Kelsey in the bummer's outfit. I feel like <laughs> I mean, seriously, like it really it will be the thing everyone remembers from that parade. It's everything Philadelphia. Kelsey is a lifelong eagle. It's not like he's like not to diminish a guy like Garrett Blunt, but it's not like he's a guy that came in, had a great season for one year. I mean, Kelsey's a lifelong Philadelphian. He really has Im embedded himself in the community. And it's a it's an amazing moment. I think it'd be an amazing statue. I'm, yeah, so throw I'm it down serious. on uh, on yeah. 2 Street next to the Mummers Hall of right, Fame. Right, yeah, People put it there. Can, uh, I mean, outside you know, Xfinity rub his head for good like luck that. before the, uh, <laughs> the parade every year. Exactly, right. Or put outside Xfinity or something like that. I just think it's – I just think when you talk about this 2008 – when you talk about the Super Bowl champions – I mean, you're probably not going to build Foles a statue, right? Wentz got hurt. So I'm not really sure who you build. I mean, maybe Doug, but I think, you know, Doug's going to be here a while. So I, I just think it makes complete sense. So I see people yeah. have joked about it online, but I'm, I'm dead serious. I, I'd build that statue. Yeah, and I think that, you know, people have asked me that all week. And my brother-in-law asked me on the way back from the parade, who do you build a statue for? And I know that we'll probably have some sort of slideshow. Here are the 10 most deserving Eagles of statues. We'll do a podcast right. that's completely, you know, fan voted on who should get it. But I almost think that 
you can't really build a statue to this team because the the Doug Peterson angle is great, but that's a work in progress. And there's no reason why he can't become the next Bill Belichick based on right. the way that he outcoached Belichick, his offensive ingenuity in terms of his scheme, his aggressive play calling. You touched on why Wentz isn't exactly appropriate nor Foles for this particular um, Super Bowl run. And I think the best way you memorialize this team is the way that you're going to do it, which is hanging a banner from Lincoln Financial Field that says Super Bowl champions from Super Bowl 52 and you just kind of watch this thing grow from here because I know the offseason is just beginning. I know the free agency doesn't begin until March 16th, but the pieces are in place for this team to be the team to beat in the NFC and potentially even the NFL for the next two to three years at the very least. All right, so let's get into uh, reviews. Obviously, everyone remembers our Radio Row podcast every day down from Minnesota. We're Trying to get to 500. We got there. We currently stand at 533. Nice. So we're, we are on our way to our next goal of 550, only 17 away. Um, so we're each going to read a review. Um, I like this one. It says, okay, now you get a review by Tommy Rux, and it was a five-star review, which we love. Been a listener all season long and have been reluctant to post a comment. That's fair. After the team won the Super Bowl, Elliot used the phrase, had the balls to call that play. And I think being the first sports talk person to actually say that phrase earned this pot of five stars. So I will say I doubt I'm the first sports per- talk person to say that phrase. I mean, I guess it's – you can, I don't know if you can say that on radio or whatever. But, I mean, I'm just talking about the Philly special play. Yes. And one of the things that will really stick out to me about that game was – all week on Radio Row, people told us Doug's going to be an aggressive coach. Doug's going to be an aggressive coach. And that's kind of Belichick's kryptonite. Yep. And that is exactly what happened. So I'm happy that the guests we had on talked about that because it really did give a nice preview of what you were going to see in that Super Bowl. Yeah, and, and I remember going on some Boston internet TV station two nights before the Super Bowl. And I, I talked about it with you on the podcast. I wrote about it that, you know, Doug Peterson is a worthy coaching adversary of Bill Belichick because of his aggressiveness, because of the fact that he tailors games game plans to his opponents because he's not going to cower under the big moment. And all they did was mock and ridicule that opinion and Doug Peterson and Doug goes out and out coaches Bill Belichick and beats him on the brightest under the brightest lights of the biggest stage. So I think Doug deserves a lot of credit for that. And I think the people who saw that coming, um, you know, can kind of, you know, puff their chest out a little bit, but this, this review comes from Enright jr. It's a five-star review headline, excellent podcast. He says, guys, I've been listening since weeks seven on iHeartRadio, but couldn't leave a review there. I had to finally log into iTunes to listen to you and listen to it on this platform. I really enjoyed all your insight into the team and the interviews during Super Bowl week have been excellent. Keep bringing the knowledge without being homers. Go birds. There you go. Yep. I love it. All right. So the next thing we want to get into, and this is a new little thing, uh, our book. We were uh, with with the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. Um, we put together a book uh, called Eagles Fly, and you've seen it. I haven't actually seen it yet. I'm jealous yes. you've gotten a chance to hold it. Um, I actually uh, bought one and signed it for my dad. So there you go. He has it now. Um, he's pretty excited about it. But before we get into the actual book, why don't you tell people about uh, what went into it? Yeah, so basically it's just a year-long, all of our writing from the last year. I think they should have included our tweets, but, you know, that'll be for the next <laughs> Super Bowl. But uh, it's 128 pages, and honestly, the writing in it, I, I obviously I think it's good we wrote it, but being dead serious, the photos in this by Andy Mills, who's our NJ.com photographer, as well as our other photographers we have, but the photos are really top-notch. And let's be honest, when you look back in a few years, you're going to want to remember the photos, the stories, that type of thing. And this really encapsulates it all. And what's crazy, Matt, is – 
so I got to see pages from it. I didn't get a hold yep. of it yet. But when you look back, like there's so many moments of the season that have just been completely in a way like washed away because of the playoffs. But like even their Monday night win over the Redskins, like they're winning, they're winning Los Angeles with that run by LeGarrette Blunt. Like yep. there's so many moments that we talked about throughout the season that then because obviously the playoffs happened and they won the Super Bowl, don't get talked about anymore. So, you know, when, I mean, I cover We cover the team. We know everything that happened this year. And obviously, if you listen, you're a huge fan. But even I was forgetting some of those moments. So it really is a cool thing to go back. Um, it's 128 pages. You can go to nj.com slash Eagles book or you can get it at Triumph Books um, and you can get it there. It's pre-ordering now. Um, I believe it, it ships out on Valentine's Day. So there's your perfect Valentine's Day gift. Yep, and I actually wow. saw it right by the checkout counter in CVS. So it is in some CVS locations. Yeah. So when you're out buying that Valentine's Day card, just take a look around. It might be there. And, you know, just to piggyback on what you were saying, Elliot, Andy Mills is a Pulitzer Prize-worthy photographer, and he just might get it this time around. Um, not necessarily for his Eagles photos, but the photos in the book are some terrific the work. The photo he part. got of Foles catching the touchdown is yes. just unreal. Yeah, no, I mean, no doubt unreal. about it. No doubt yeah. about it. Um, and, and like you were saying, it chronicles the moments from the, the regular season. And I think that that week, uh, I believe it was uh, week three, the win in uh, Los Angeles over the Chargers, where they salted out the victory with the running game. I remember standing in the, the press room asking a question to Carson Wentz in the press conference of, of just the evolution of this team from 2016, where they never won those one score games. They were one right. seven in Games decided by seven points or less. And here they were. They had already won two of them through the first three weeks of the season. And they did it by salting it out with the, the running game with LeGarrette Blunt. And they did that throughout the course of the year. The win against the Carolina Panthers, where I said that night, this is the Super Bowl Express. They've now started to play a complimentary brand of football that could power them all the way through February. The Monday night win you talked about with, mm -hmm. you know, you lose Jordan Hicks, you lose Jason Peters. Carson Wentz makes a Houdini-like escape play in the pocket and finds Corey Clement for a back-breaking touchdown that several players in the Redskins locker room told me afterwards makes him one of the more difficult quarterbacks in the league to defend. I mean, it's just moments like that yeah. on the road in Dallas where they were trailing in the first quarter and they hang 37 on Dak Prescott and the Cowboys and blow them out where you started to really feel like, okay, Doug Peterson has a chance to be coach of the year. And then just overcoming everything with the Wentz injury in LA. The Don't give away the whole book, my man. You were <laughs> Features that you and I both worked on throughout the course yeah. of the year in there. Steve Politi has a great profile of Malcolm Jenkins in there. So if you're an Eagles fan and if you followed along throughout the course of this season, um, I saw the Sports Illustrated commemorative special today. It doesn't hold a candle nope. to what we put together and we, we were able to write throughout the course of the season. So it, it's a much must purchase for an Eagles fan, something to put on the bookshelf and pull down every once in a while to remember just how magical this run really was. All right, so definitely go check that book out. You can order it. And now it's time to get into the news because it is crazy. And I think one of my takeaways has been that they win the Super Bowl, and obviously we've never covered Super Bowl winning team. And then it's like, all right, well, here's the offseason. Like just because right. they won the Super Bowl, like there's still the combine coming up. Me and you are still going to Indianapolis in two weeks. Like they'll still be free agency. And the reality is they're still going to lose guys, and that's already started to happen. So let's talk about the fact that they lost both – uh, offensive coordinator Frank Wright and quarterback uh, coach D. Filippo. Let's take them one by one instead yep. of going into both. So, I mean, 
the we, we can start with Reich or Filippo. I guess you want to start with Reich because in some ways it's a bigger spot on the team now um, with offensive coordinator. Although I do think Filippo initially ended up – I think he had a larger job at first because he, he was – you know, he really had a big hand in developing Wentz. But so Reich goes to the Colts. They're without their offensive coordinator. Um, uh, Peter King wrote a piece that went up this morning on MMQB with Reich and Doug and uh, wide receiver coach Mike Groh just talking about the, some of the plays. And in that – and, I mean, we've seen it from Doug too. Like I know Reich didn't call plays and I know we've – at least I've done it where I've kind of diminished his role. But I think the more we've gotten to know this team, the more behind-the-scenes uh, looks you get – Reich, although he did not call plays, he was a huge part of this offense. And I think he was a really, really big trusted advisor of Doug. And that's huge. I mean, we talked a lot about how the players get along and how that really works. The fact that Doug had Reich to sit with every Saturday night for an hour, throw ideas off of, trust him, have that good relationship, really helped the offense. So I think even though he didn't call plays and know he wasn't the quarterback coach, I do think losing Reich is a big deal. That being said, Doug and Wentz are this offense, so I don't right. think you'll see a huge fall off. But to just diminish, uh, you know, they can just hire anybody for this role. I do think is overstating it a little bit. Uh, what I, do you I don't, dis- I, I don't yeah. disagree. Um, and, and first of all, I just want to address one quick thing here because whether it's on Twitter or Facebook or just friends of mine who are Eagles fans talking to me about this over the last couple of days, this is normal and this is healthy, right? Th- yeah. This is not, you know, there are people who are supposedly angry at Frank Reich for leaving to become a head coach, which I think is one of the more absurd things I've ever heard, read, or seen. The man has a chance to go be a head coach and go work with Andrew mm-hmm. Luck or Jacoby Brissett and have and his not just own that program. he gets like sixteen million probably guaranteed. Correct. I mean, you know. <laughs> and, and this is when you lose assistant coaches or you lose coordinators to go on to become head coaches. This is the natural sign of a healthy program built by the head coach. In this case, Doug Peterson, and it's a byproduct of their success. If the Eagles were six and ten this year, their coaching staff isn't getting a lot of looks for promotions to coordinator jobs or head coaching jobs. So this is natural. This is normal, and this just underscores the job that Doug Peterson has done in two years to turn this entire program program around into one that can compete for Super Bowls year over year over year. And and when it comes to the relationship between Doug Peterson and Frank Reich, I think that it's it's normal for an offensive minded head coach to collaborate with his offensive coordinator on game planning, which certainly Doug talked about over the last couple of months. And I don't think that's an accident that he kind of elevated those Saturday night meetings into the public sphere because it helps Frank Reich's profile when interviewing for head coaching jobs or landing on candidacy lists because it shows the hands-on nature that he's had in this offense, which let's be honest about this. This is Doug Peterson's scheme, right? This is Doug Peterson's playbook in terms of everything Jason Avant talked to me about and everything we've seen over the last couple of months with these RPOs of Doug basically melding college play concepts behind a West Coast offense blocking scheme. That's the Eagles offense. That's Doug Peterson's baby. That's his system. So, uh, you know, first of all, congratulations and kudos to Frank Reich. I think this is a really great hire for the Colts, whether they stick with Locke, stick with Brissett or go get a quarterback. They now have a guy who is proven to help develop quarterbacks, maximize quarterback play. And I think in the first place, we all forget, Elliot, that Frank Reich was brought here to help bring Doug Peterson along as a head coach because he had prior offensive coordinator experience. He is a veteran coach. Doug certainly benefited from that over the last two years. And I think that whoever replaces him, whether it's it's Mike Groh or Deuce Staley or somebody from the outside or Press Taylor – 
I think that the Eagles are in a really good spot with Doug Peterson as the head coach to kind of seamlessly transition from 2017 to 2018 with or without Frank Reich. All right, so let's talk about replacements, um, yep. and let's just start with Deuce because I know we slightly disagree on this, and I can tell already I'm going to come across as the anti-Deuce guy, which I don't want to, but I do think we can both agree since the news of Reich kind of leaked, uh, everyone's been saying just you know promote Deuce, promote Deuce, and there's good reason. Um, I mean they interviewed him to be the head coach in 2016. You can debate how legitimate of an interview that was, um, and then – you know, they, they just from being locker room every day, the players love him. We get a chance to talk to Deuce two or three times a year. Comes across as as a guy that might be ready for this type of jump. But I just think everyone's painting this as like a slam dunk thing to move Deuce up. And I think what made Reich special for this team was, as you mentioned, his experience. Um, you know. Doug is still a relatively young head coach. Um, I know, obviously, he's a Super Bowl champion now, so I'm not going to speak about him as if he you know, needs development. But every, every coach needs uh, help at some point. So I do think there's something to be said for bringing a guy next to Doug that has experience. Um, so that would be maybe one of my main hesitations. But I'd also – and I'll throw this to you to kind of get the conversation started. What has Deuce done – that everybody is so impressed with. I'm not diminishing it, and I'm not saying that in a sarcastic way. I'm legitimately asking, like, what yeah. have what if what have people seen from Deuce? Because I'm not saying he hasn't done a good job, but I don't see the type of job where I'm like, all right, you have to promote this guy, or, or you know, he's going to get lost. I mean, I saw a piece in the New York Daily News, at least I think it was, maybe it was the Post, talking about how he's the next great young coach, and I'm just like, what? Like, where do people see that? Well, I think it comes down to a couple things. Um, I mean, let's go back to the Chip Kelly era, right? It was basically Deuce Staley who had autonomy with managing the running back rotation, and he still does. And I would argue that once the Eagles traded for Jay Ajayi, there was a potential for disaster there. Because let's face it, LeGarrette Blunt is a guy that um, had, what, two Super Bowl rings going into this year and is a guy who, let's be, let's face it, pr- pretty sizable ego. And the Eagles brought him in here to be the guy, to be the th- three-down feature running back, which for the first part of the year he essentially was, splitting some carries, of course, with Corey Clement and Wendell Smallwood. But then you bring in Jay Ajayi, who had been accustomed to being the guy down in Miami. He was the feature back, the workhorse, and some not great things were said about Ajayi by the Dolphins. They basically labeled him a locker room cancer on his way out the door, question his work ethic. And I think that the way that the Eagles and Deuce Staley were able to you know, mesh that room together, where, I mean, we were in there after the Cowboy game. We were in there after playoff games. The running back group with Kenyon Barner and Corey Clement and Jay Ajayi and LeGarrette Blunt, that was like a their own little brotherhood, right? It was their own little family and community, which I think Deuce Staley deserves a lot of credit for just for, you know, managing and massaging those egos and getting everybody to work together. So you can easily kind of, you know, protract out what he did in that room and well, how he well, can get the chemistry on pace with the rest of the locker room. Do you mind if we take one. I know sure. you I know you have yeah, a, yeah. I know you have a lot of points. I just want to take it one by one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's fine. All right. So my counter to that would be I 100 percent agree. And I think that's one thing that I discounted with Doug was everyone talked about emotional intelligence. And I think that's made him a great head coach. But to me, what you just described is more a guy I want as a head coach as opposed to my X's and O guy that I'm sounding off of with Doug. So although I agree with you that what he did with the right. running backs is impressive, my my only thing is I'm not sure how his ability to build a productive like 
Well, here's the thing. He's not going to be calling plays. That's on Doug Peterson. He's probably right. not going to be designing a lot of plays because Doug did a lot of that. Press Taylor does a lot of that as a quality control contributor and assistant. So I don't think that you're going to sit there, you know, coming up with a brand new scheme with Deuce Staley. I think it's more of overseeing that element of practice, that element of the room. And I know you and I got into this off the air a little bit. Um I just look at the way that they got Jay Ajayi ready in three days after the trade. And it wasn't like they just, you know, used him as a glorified decoy. They threw him out there. And, you know, to bring Jay Ajayi in and get him up to date with the scheme, I think that underscores j- just how good of a teacher right. uh, that the, the Deuce Staley is in terms of, you know, getting a guy up to the scheme with the playbook, up to speed with the blocking schemes, up to speed with the fronts. And, and that first game when the Eagles traded for him, you know, at the deadline, he comes in and he averaged 5.2 yards per carry and he, you know, caught a, a pass. So I think that he did a lot in that game. And then, of course, there was that run pass option where, you know, and, and you and I disagree on this one. But I, I think those run pass options, the timing is so significant in terms of the quarterback leaving the ball in the running back's belly till the last possible millisecond if you're going to pull it back. And once, you know, put the ball there, pulled it back. Ajayi sold it as a run really well, and it wound up being like a 37-yard touchdown pass down the sideline to Alshon Jeffrey. I just think getting Ajayi up to speed for that moment and in that game kind of shows you the teaching ability of a Deuce Staley to relate the scheme to the rest of the players. So my my only thing, too, is like – and I disagree with you slightly about the RPO thing. I do think it's impressive, but – I think you might be making a little too much of it, but I get your overall point that he did integrate a Jai into the offense from X's no standpoint. And I agree, but here, here would be my two counters to deuce. And you tell me what you think. My first would be, I think there's something to be said for bringing in a fresh set of eyes. I get that Doug wants to promote from within, and I'm not saying you only hire a guy from outside just to do it. But I think that you saw like what really helped Howie turn it around was he brought in someone from the outside. He brought in the Joe Douglas type guy that he respected. And well, what he needs listened. to be turned around? Well, I mean, they just I, won the Super Bowl and had right. a nearly historic offense from a well, yards because, and points standpoint, right? I just right? think with any offense, you need to, to make some changes from year to year. I mean, they can't run the exact same offense. They just put it all on tape for a year. And I'm not saying that they need a major overhaul and, you know, maybe bringing in a fresh set of eyes on offensive coordinator might be too much of an overhaul. And I get the benefit of promoting within because it's good for staff morale and all that. But I do think there's something to be said for bringing in a fresh set of eyes, a guy that, you know, might, you know, bring up a point that Deuce won because Deuce has been there all year, a guy that would bring maybe a new set of skills and a guy that has the experience that Doug can sound off of. I mean, look, it's not Deuce's fault. He's only been a running back coach, but he doesn't have the experience. And I'm not super big on retread, so I'm a little surprised I'm making this point. But I do think there's something to be said for having a guy next to Doug that has more experience than he does, or at least at the same amount. Um, so that would kind of be my main thing on Deuce. So do you want to address that? Or do you want me to do my second? Yeah, um, I mean, I don't think that – look, I think that the most qualified individual should get the job. And if that winds up being, you know, Jim Caldwell or that winds up being Mike Shula or that winds up being Daryl Bevel or any, any number of outside candidates, if they're far and away the better candidate for the job, then Doug Peterson should hire them. But – I think that with this offense and this scheme and, and what this staff showed you in terms of adjustments made after halftime or after quarter breaks, such as, you know, the 49er game,
game or the Cowboy game in Dallas or counter-adjusting defensively and offensively to what the Patriots did in the Super Bowl, this staff is really good, and they're on the same page. And I know that you just lost two of your key offensive members in Frank Reich and John Filippo, but two guys don't make an entire staff. And no, but I think they're two they- pretty big guys. I don't disagree. I I don't disagree, but there are plenty of qualified people within the building, within the organization. And I think that if Doug Peterson believes in Deuce Staley, if the players believe in Deuce Staley, and if he can do what Doug needs him to do in terms of teaching the players the offense and in terms of helping him put together a game plan, then I think that he's a a no better or worse candidate than anybody else out there. I I just think that and I'm not saying you're doing this because you've obviously broken it down from a lot of angles, but I think a lot of the stuff that I hear from fans is just kind of like, oh, well, we recognize Deuce's name and he used to play here. And I just think that if, look, if Doug thinks he's the best hire, then that's absolutely they should hire. Doug should get to make this decision. Doug has earned that right. He's the guy that's going to be working with. Doug should make the hire. If he hires Deuce, I'm not going to sit here and say it's a bad decision. I just have more hesitation than other people. Um, I just don't see it as that slam dunk. Um, but my other point I'll make briefly because I want to move on to Filippo is to me a good sign of a good position coach because uh, I understand like they do some X's and O's stuff in terms of the game plan, but a lot of what they do is bring guys along. I don't think Deuce has a great track record of developing guys. I mean, you know, he got a good year. He got good years out of McCoy, but McCoy was already really good. He brought Ajayi in. Ajayi was already fairly established. Blunt was pretty established. Um, Sproles was established. But when you look at the younger guys, I mean, Corey Clement. Corey Clement. Is, yeah, yeah, that's his big one for sure. But uh, Wendell Smallwood has kind of, you know, not really turned into much. And Donald Pumphrey, you know, seems to be at least to this point a bust. So that would just be one hesitation. Whereas I think whereas you look at, you know, like Mike Grow, he kind of has earned his stripes off of, you know, a track record of developing guys. And I'm not sure Deuce really has that yet. I'm not saying he doesn't completely have it, but I don't see this track record where I'm like, oh, wow, look at him continually developing these guys. Yeah, I I don't disagree, but I don't think that he's really had all that many young backs with a chance to develop, right? I mean, Wendell Smallwood um, couldn't stay healthy, couldn't stay on the field. Corey Clement was an undrafted free agent that 32 teams decided at least seven times that they didn't want to draft him, and he winds up catching a touchdown in the Super Bowl and having over 100 yards from scrimmage. So... I, I think that, you know, there shouldn't be a qualification about just having one when one of them turned out to be a contributor to this team. It might be a reason why you don't even really need to address the running back position all that much this offseason. So right. I think the command is a guy he's developed. And, you know, again, I'll go back to one of the first points that I made. There was recipe for disaster for Garrett Blunt and Jay Ajayi to tank that entire locker room. I remember there were reporters who said this. There were fans who feared this, that one bad app can sour the bunch and the Jay Ajayi's reputation and LeGarrette Blunt's ego certainly had the mix to tank that that running back room and maybe even the rest of the offense and the team chemistry and it never happened it really turned into being the opposite and Blunt kind of became the elder statesman of that room and the mentor and the one moment that I remember was after the game against the Falcons and you know Jay Ajayi did his media scrum at his locker we all talked to him and I had one more question for Ajayi that I wanted to get him on the record about that Miami Dolphin trade. So I kind of peeled back and let the other reporters, you know, walk away. And I'm about to jump in and ask him. 
and Deuce kind of interrupts me and says, can I have a minute? And they kind of duck into his locker and he gave him this really strong speech about, you know, this is everything we've talked about since you got here. You're two steps away from, you know, winning a Super Bowl. You know, we talked about this all week. We talked about that. You went out and did it. And I could just tell the impact that that had on Ajayi. And, and my sense is that if, if Deuce can have those sort of moments with the running backs and he can bring out the best in Corey Clement like he did and get those guys to buy in the way that they did throughout the course of the year, I just see the entire offense kind of following suit. And I think that that's all you really need. It's not like this is Mike Zimmer with an offensive coordinator who needs his guy to call plays or build the offense or build the scheme. Doug Peterson just needs a right-hand man. He needs somebody to to communicate to the troops. Okay, this is the plan. This is the strategy. These are the first scripted 15. Here's what we're going to do. And I think that Deuce is the the perfect guy to do that. And, you know, for all we know, he he might buckle and fold under the pressure. And if he does, then I was wrong. But he might – this might be um, the moment and the opportunity for – Deuce to get that chance to go out and do it. So let's talk about Filippo. Yep. Um, and I'm it kind of the micro thing is involved there, so it's a good transition. But to bring up the Peter King story again, I to, after I read that story, I'm wondering if they don't consider Grow for offensive coordinator just because he has more experience. You know, he's been I think he's coached longer than Deuce has, and it was clear he played a huge role in coming up with that game plan for the Patriots. I mean, Peter King really goes in depth about all the work Grow did and the plays he came up with. But the reason Grow, the reason I bring up Grow is because there's been talk about making him the quarterback coach. People have kind of, you know, said, all right, they're going to now that Dee Filippo's in Minnesota and um, we could talk briefly, I guess, about the loss of Dee Filippo. I don't think it's as big of a loss now as it would have been two years ago because you have Wentz, you know, basically developed. I mean, clearly he's going to have to improve every year, but the brunt of his adjustment from college to NFL is gone. Foles is who he is. Sudfeld, you know, it's your third guy. I, I, you know, I think they like him a lot, but again, like you don't really prioritize him too much. So I think that they don't need like the stud quarterback coach that they did two years ago, if that makes sense. Do you agree with that or? Um, yes and no. And, and again, I think that, you know, John Filippo was instrumental, as you said, in developing Carson Wentz. Um, first of all, c- good for John to be able to go out and call plays in an offense and build a scheme with Mike Zimmer. I think that if he has half the success calling plays as he had in developing Carson Wentz, that he's going to be a head coach in the NFL sometime in the next two years. I think he's on that trajectory, and this is a great landing spot for him to go and do that. And, th- and that's kind of why he went and became the Minnesota Vikings coordinator versus a lot of fans saying, well, why didn't he just stay here and be the Eagles coordinator? Because Doug Peterson's the de facto offensive coordinator. Doug Peterson calls the plays and Filippo wouldn't have the opportunity or the latitude to do that here. As far as the quarterback room goes, you know, you're right. I think that Mike Rowe would kind of be an easy move here because of what we saw him in terms of developing Nelson Aguilar and getting the most out of that receiving core this past season, adding Alshon Jeffrey, adding Torrey Smith, two veterans helps you improve on what you had here before, but Groh certainly maximized that. And one of the ways that he maximized it was he returned to fundamentals, returned to, you know, drills in practice were all about fundamentals, stressing that when they watch tape and doing things the right way. And two days before the Super Bowl, Elliot, I sat down with John Filippo during one of the media availabilities, and he basically said that 
in our quarterback practices, we're not a team that throws balls through a tire hoop. We're not a team that, you know, jumps around and throws footballs through some sort of, uh, you know, curtain with a hole cut into it. If you're not going to make a move on a football field, we're not going to make that move in practice. And Mike Groh kind of strikes me as that similar of a coach who's going to focus and drill down on fundamentals and improving that way versus these exotic drills and right. games and those sort of things. So I think that if if you want to move Mike Groh over, that would make a lot of sense. Press Taylor is another guy. He discovered the Philly special. I think that he's been the assistant quarterback coach. You kind of just bump him up and there'd be a lot of familiarity in that room. But the one thing people kind of lose sight of, you know, Carson Wentz played a key role in that quarterback room as well. He was getting right. into the building before John Filippo. The Eagles have plays in their playbook from Carson Wentz's college days at North Dakota State, from his high school years. So I think that, you know, Carson Wentz is an overwhelming presence in that room, just as any quarterback coach would be. So while you don't need an all-star hire, I do think it would be good to have a coach like a Taylor, like a Grow, who stresses fundamentals and, and not overthinking it the way that some coordinators and quarterback right. coaches do around the league. So I agree with that. And the Eagles have a ton of really good assistant coaches on their team. So saying Mike Grow might be the best is maybe a little strong, but he is, I mean, look, you said it and we all saw it last year. The difference in the receivers was huge when they had Greg Lewis and no shot at Greg Lewis, but he just wasn't a guy that was qualified at that point for that job. So you could just see the difference of having an experienced, you know, coach there. And I would argue they're going to need that again next year because yes, Alshon is who he is at this point. And I think Nelson, is probably going to stay the player he is, but I do think having grow with Nelson really helped him. So I'd be a little wary of losing him in that regard. But outside of that, you have Matt Collins, who we're assuming is going to kind of walk into that starter role if they cut Torrey Smith. They're going to need a really good coach there for him. Sheldon Gibson's a young guy. Marcus Johnson's a young guy. They're probably going to draft a few guys. They might sign somebody, so you're going to have to integrate him into the offense. Yep. So I just think there's going to be more coaching needed to be done at the receiver room. And I would keep grow at receiver. Uh, as the receiver coach, just because I think that's really where you're going to need him. And if you if you are replacing him, you got to be real sure. I mean, they they paid grow like good money to be an assistant coach. I mean, this was as much as an all star hire could be in terms of assistant coaches. That's what grow was. I mean, yep. grow grow really was. He's regarded as one of the best receiver coaches in the NFL. And look, I understand, you know, like you got to move up in your career sometimes. And if Gro wants to go to quarterback coach and they're ready to give him that promotion, so be it. I just think the best move for this franchise is to keep Gro at receiver coach just because your quarterback room, as you said, is already so strong, already good to go. I think you're, you're better off bringing in – not better off, but you're more capable of bringing in a younger guy there than you are at receiver. And I really think losing Gro in that receiver room – would, would be a potential would, would potentially result in his team stepping back a receiver, whereas I don't think a quarterback you're going to see a step back. No, I, I agree with that, and I, that's why I think that if you leave Mike Rowe as a wide receiver coach, you have Press Taylor who's been in those meetings and in that room all year. It's a familiar face. He can work with Carson Wentz in terms of developing some trick plays because he's the guy who found the Philly special. He's the guy that goes searching for trick plays in high school playbooks and in college games all season long, in NFL games, integrating them into the scheme. So 
I, I agree that if, if you're not going to make either one of those guys the offensive coordinator, I think it makes the most sense to leave Mike Grow as the wide receiver coach and promote Press Taylor to the quarterback coach. That way, you're not bringing in an outside force into the quarterback room and trying to help develop Carson Wentz. You're not trying to instill new strategies or habits or ideas into Wentz. It's something and somebody that he's familiar with and comfortable with from the past two years. All right, so let's kind of wrap this up briefly with the Foles thing. Um, I guess we – I don't think we talked about that much on the postgame pod, but obviously a big talk this week has been what do you do with Foles. Um, this could be its own pod, so I mean we'll, I, I don't want to get into it too much, but just briefly, where do you stand right now? Would you trade Foles? Would you not trade Foles? Like does it depend what you get? Or are you at a point where because of the cap situation and because you have Sudfeld and because you have Wentz coming back, you would move them? just to get an asset for him. Yeah, yeah, this was the first question that I had on TV this morning, Elliot, and, and my answer is going to be the same here that it was there, that unless some team blows you away with a top 15 draft pick, I don't know how you can trade Nick Foles because yeah. there is, whether fans want to admit it or not, whether the team wants to admit it or not, there's uncertainty about Carson Wentz's immediate future. He tore his ACL and his LCL on December 10th, I believe it was. So, I mean, that's a rapid turnaround to be ready for week one, let alone 100% fully healthy and what he was for the first week of the season. You're going to need an insurance policy. And Nick Foles showed you that he can win games for you at the highest level. He's a guy that you know knows the systems during training camp. You're not going to skip a beat in terms of who's throwing to the wide receivers, who's running the first team offense. And if Wentz can't go for a game or two because he's not ready, you have no qualms throwing Nick Foles in as your starting quarterback week one. So unless the Denver Broncos or the New York Jets or some team comes screaming with a first-round pick in the top 15, I don't think you can trade them. But if you do get a top 15 offer, given how limited your cap space is over the next several years and given um, you know your few draft picks you have, if you can come away with two first-round picks this year, one of them in the top 15, you drive Nick Foles to wherever that offer came from and you take the offer and you feel good about it. So I agree with... 95% of what you said. I'm not so sure I, was, I would go as far as say I would drive Foles with a top 15 pick. It's still something I would consider and I would probably do it. But I just think the – look, the Eagles got where they are because of how much they valued the quarterback position. They did it with Wentz. They did it with Foles. They did it with their coaching staff. And I understand the value of getting a top 15 pick. I mean I really do. But at the same time – there is uncertainty with Wentz's knee. And even if he tore it a year ago, you just never know what's going to happen from here on out. It's just reality of the situation. Whenever Wentz goes down from now on, people will think about that ACL, or at least for the immediate future, you know, for next year or so. So I would be hesitant to move on from Foles knowing the rest of your roster is set up to potentially win the Super Bowl next year if you put Foles in there. But three quick things. One would be I think the sweet spot is number 15 where with Arizona, they don't have a quarterback. They need one. Um, you know, they have other pieces on that offense and defense where you would say maybe they're a quarterback away. I think they're in a winnable division. I think the Rams are very good as are the Seahawks, but I don't think, um, I think the Cardinals, if they get good quarterback play could be in it. So I think that's your kind of sweet spot where you look at the probably most you're going to get for him would be 15 overall. But the team to me that really stands out is if they move folds, this is the team that will be to is the bills because they have, two first round picks. I believe they have two seconds or no, they have two thirds. They, they had some, they have like five picks in the first three rounds. And I know two of them are um, first round picks. It's like 21 and 22. And 
they need a quarterback. Their defense is already there. Um, they have, you know, obviously the best receiver of all time, Jordan Matthews. I know he's a free agent, but whatever. So, I mean, they have like the players there on offense and they play in the division where Foles just beat the Patriots. So I think that he makes a lot of sense for them. I think he is a guy that they could trade. And the fact is the Eagles don't have a second or third round pick. And I don't know if that will make them more or less willing to deal Foles for one of those. But if I, I, don't, to- I don't think you can give him away for anything short of a top Fifteen or so. Just well, because the uncertainty you, you spoke about. Because I know the Eagles are high on Nate Sudfeld and uh, another training camp or a training camp period in their system and in their building could certainly help develop him. Are you really comfortable, if need be, playing Nate Sudfeld week one? Yeah, I mean, I, am, I, am I comfortable playing Nate Sudfeld in weeks, you know, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, and then the playoffs? No, but week one. Yeah, I think so. And again, like we can all have our opinions of Sudfeld, but the Eagles' opinion on Sudfeld is extremely high. So me and you might disagree. I don't disagree. Yeah, I don't disagree. So, with that so that's the only thing I would say. Like, like you know, and obviously our opinions impacts what we what we would do clearly. But when we look at this from strictly just like a what we know perspective from covering the team, they are very high on Sudfeld, and I think that could play a factor here because if you cut Sudfeld at training camp next year, he's not making it to the practice squad. He's either going to be on the Colts, he's going to be on the Vikings, or he's going to be on one another team. But we know he's not going to get past those two teams. And I don't know if you want to carry three quarterbacks. So when you take into account the cap space, the lack of a second or third round pick, the how high they are on Sudfeld, I just look like I wouldn't do it, but I wouldn't surprise me if they did. And there's also the, the chance Foles wants to leave. I don't think he will. This We'll debate this later, but uh, there's all those factors. So I think right now we're kind of on the same page where top 15 pick is where we would uh, – where we yep. would, you know, kind of draw the line there. So I agree. All right. Well, that was a that was a heavy podcast. Lots of uh, lots lots to get into that we missed over the last week. We're gonna try to get one for you later this week as well. We're still trying to figure out our off season schedule. Um, obviously, we'll have emergency pods and stuff happens and all that. But I think we're probably thinking twice a week is is, is a good soft spot for where we are, what we want to do. So, all right. As we said at the beginning of the show, please leave a review. We really appreciate it. We're at 5:33, trying to get to 5:50, so we're uh, you know 17 away. We love those five star reviews. Make sure you go pick up the book, Fly Eagles at Triumph Books and NJ.com/EaglesBook. And me and Matt are tweeting it out all the time. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, we really appreciate it. We love the thumbs up you guys leave. We love the feedback. But go subscribe. We're on all our all your podcast apps. You get it quicker that way. As soon as we record it, within 20, 25 minutes, because of the great producers we have, it's up. It's on the podcast app and ready to go. So thanks everyone for listening. And Matt, I'll talk to you later in the week. Talk to you later in the week.